going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. You could call Peter Watts one of the good guys in our industry. It doesn't matter what kind of day he's having. He's the first to say hello and he'll ask you about how things are going or ask you about something that you talked to him about months or even years ago. The guy's got a steel trap for a memory. I don't know a single person who has anything bad to say about Peter, and it's because he truly cares for the people around him. For me, Peter has been an endless resource for people who talk to, uh, to talk to in our city and in our province. When I was news director, we had a weekly visit at my desk where he'd ask for some thoughts on stories he was working on for the Alberta Morning News. But then we'd start talking junior hockey or baseball, or the farm, or whatever the case may be. Before we knew it, an hour was gone. And after he'd stand up and he'd say, well, I guess it's time to make myself useful. I'd realize that hour was gone, and I'd swear at him a little bit, to be brutally honest, because I'd gotten nothing done in that hour. But as I've gotten older, I've come to realize that those are actually the best kinds of conversations. And I wish Peter and I could have another one of those conversations right now. As you all know, he's sitting in hospital right now. And hopefully things turn out well. Here's hoping, Peter, that we get that opportunity to have another one of those chats soon. This is Calgary Today. Coming up on the show, right off the bat, we are going to dive right into property taxes the assessments have been mailed out and now you can kind of get your head around things in studio nelson carpa will join us in just a couple of minutes he is a director and city assessor in the assessment department at uh, the chief financial officers department here at the city of calgary and he'll join us to answer your questions so if you have any call us now 403-974-8255 we will get to those questions in just a couple of seconds also coming up we're all into the new year's resolutions And some of us have already given up on said resolutions. But what makes you decide that you want to have that change? Is it a split-second decision or is it something that you want to work towards? I know he's been on the show when Angela was hosting quite a few times, but James Fell will join us. He's got a new book coming out in about eight days' time now. It's got an expletive in it, but it asks a, a pretty interesting question. And it's all about change. So we'll talk to James after 4 o'clock I'm also inadvertently in the middle of a bit of a, not a controversy, but certainly uh, I've been trending a little bit on social media. Uh, I went on a little bit of a Twitter tirade. It wasn't even really a tirade, to be honest. It was one of those, I see something, therefore I'm going to observe and put those observations out for the world to see. As it turns out, there's either a few people really agree with what I've said about the current state of the United Conservative Party, Or there's a lot of people who fought back on it. So I'll dive into what I actually think about it. Plus, I will rail not only on the United Conservative Party, but also the NDP, because they've been in my crosshairs the last couple of days as well. It's not even a matter of wanting to be even in this case. It's just I have not been really impressed by either party to this point. And last but certainly not least, we will dive into the uh, the old science center. What is up with that facility? Well, there was a little piece of news that came across my desk uh, early this morning. We'll be joined by CEO David Leinster 
after 5.30 dive into what that news is all about and what's to come. But first, we're going to welcome Nelson Carpa to the program as soon as we get uh, our traffic figured out. Let's head on up to the sky and see what's going on in our streets. There have been a ton of questions over the last 10 days or so, and Nelson Carpus had to answer pretty much all of them. City Assessor uh, with the City of Calgary joining us now. Uh, Nelson, thanks for coming in. Thanks very much, Joe. Thanks. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. So a lot of questions, like I said. Let's start with the, the first one. How is it that you are able to come up with the, the dollar figure for a home's value? So, Joe, what we do is pretty much try to emulate what a potential purchaser or buyer or a person who's selling their property, we take a look at what's what's important. So, size, age, um, uh, amenities to the house. So, everything that just think about a viewer walking down your street and wondering, geez, how much would I pay for that house? Those are the same characteristics that we would look at in trying to determine your market estimate. When it comes to cosm, is it uh, do you factor in cosmetic things like paint and shades and that kind of thing, or is it mainly things that are foundational or things that will be staying with the house basically forever until you tear it out, air conditioning, furnace, that kind of thing? Yeah, Joe. So the things that really drive value are exactly that. So presence or absence of an air conditioner, whether it's a two-story, whether it's a bungalow, do you have a walkout basement? Quite frankly, any potential purchaser wouldn't really care a whole lot about what the color is of your house or whether you have this type of shades or not. Typically, those things are not factors of what people think about when they think, geez, I want to pay this amount of for a property. What they're interested in is it, what's the size? What's the layout? How new is it? What kind of renovations have there been done to it? Does it have a big backyard, a small backyard? Does it have a view? Those are the kind of things that we tend to focus on. A lot of people, when the assessments first came out, said, I can't believe that my house has been valued at this, given the economy and the way that things have been. And they were sort of expecting the value to go down a little bit. And yet, for the most part, they went up, correct? Yeah, we have seen it overall. Again, this is overall citywide, Mm -hmm. about a 1% decrease in, in the average or typical market value. Now, of course, that will vary significantly between property types and the area of the city. But basically, what we have been telling people is it's been flat. The other thing to remember is that legislatively we are required to value of a specific date. So the assessments that you would have received in the mail right now, your 2019 assessments, were based on a valuation date as if you would have sold your property on July 1st, 2018. Um, So there has been some changes in the market after that. Uh, We will certainly reflect those in any upcoming assessments. I know people say, well, I couldn't sell my house for that today. Mm -hmm. That might be correct. But remember that we're valuing all 500 and some odd thousand properties in the city of Calgary using that same valuation date of July 1st. I know that your own feelings don't necessarily weigh in on this at all, but I am curious, were you surprised at all that it was down just the 1% versus what you get the sense of with the, the economy the way it is? It was very interesting. And again, that's a general. Um, what we've observed is typically higher valued properties saw a bit more of a decrease. But we have lots of properties in that three hundred to five hundred thousand dollar range. Uh, still, lots of potential buyers in in that particular area. So again, it's spotty. Um, I think you know we will continue to watch as the market changes, uh, and we'll certainly reflect any changes. Um, but you know, overall, pretty steady year. Four zero three nine seven four eight two five five. If you have a question for Nelson, he is the city assessor here at the at the city of Calgary. Let's get to the first one right off the bat, and let's welcome Dale Dale to the program. Dale, uh, what's your question for Nelson? Thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there isn't any way I can sell my house for what the city assesses me for. And um, I also heard it said, and talking to other people too, 
when you go and contest it, um, out of a th- you got to pay thirty dollars. Out of a thousand people, maybe two people might get an adjustment. That's the only comment I had. Appreciate that, Dale. We'll uh, I'll let Nelson. Are those numbers correct? Can you can you talk about those numbers? Well, I think just uh, remember when. Uh the way that we value properties, again, we really just try to replicate what the market does. So the way that we would determine the, your property didn't sell, most properties didn't sell on July 1st of last year. So you may ask yourself, well, how do you figure out what they could have sold for? Mm. So they're in the appraisal world, there's a, a, a something that's called a, the direct sales comparison approach, which basically means what would be the best indicator of the sale price, Joe, of your property if you wanted to sell it. So what you would do is you would look at sales of similar properties in your in and around your area, and that will give you a good indication of what your property would sell for. So if I've got a 2,000 square foot uh, two-story in, in this particular area of Calgary, I would look around my neighborhood, have any like properties sold recently, and that should give me a pretty good idea of what my property would sell for. That's kind of how we do it. So I'd encourage anybody who is thinking about that, that's the approach is to simply look at sales in your area to see whether they support your assessed value or not. When you talk about area, are you talking the block? Are you talking the the community? What what sort of assess or what is the the proper area that you're looking at? So we break up the city into a number of different uh, areas that we feel the market generally performs relatively similar. But as a just as a uh, for speaking from an appraisal standpoint, typically the closer the better. But obviously, you don't have that kind of data set that you can use. So the closer to your subject property, the better. And then you just simply expand your reach and look for sales of similar properties. You don't want to start far out. You start close by. And if you have to start moving out to get more data, then that's what you do. Final question before we go back to the phone lines, 403-974-8255, is when you're looking at that July 1st selling date, is that in the midst of the just the market itself as well, or are you looking best case scenario, say we're in a boom or a bust, or that is it right at that particular moment in time? Yes, Joe, it is really right at that particular moment in time. So we're legislative required to assess all those properties in the city of Calgary, not only residential, but non-residential, as if they would have sold that date. Now, not obviously every property sells on that date. So we do take three years worth of sales data that we analyze. So we get about 15,000 sales on any given year in the residential area. So for three years, we're looking at maybe 45,000 sales that we would look at. Um, that give us an indication of that data set that we use for evaluation. Just a couple of sales to keep tabs on. Holy moly. Uh, go back to the phone lines. Let's go to Shirley. Shirley, what's your question for Nelson? I This is some time ago, but I've been uh, annoyed with the... Uh, I don't have a fireplace, and they say I do. I have a one-car garage, and they have me as two. Hmm. So I've got an answer for that. I figured you might. 268-2888. So uh, we do have, during this period of time, during our customer review period, we have a number of assessors who are uh, standing ready to take your calls. And uh, so give us a call. Uh, We will connect you up with one of our valuation professionals, one of our assessors. Um, If need be, we will come out and take a look at the property. We want to make sure that we've got the characteristics correct. And and if our records do not reflect that, we need to update our records. So give us a call. What was that number again? 268-268-8888. That's pretty easy. Shirley, you got that? One more time. uh, 268-8888. Thank you so much. Appreciate your help. Appreciate your call, Shirley. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things, too, that I think a lot of people, they think that they need to just grin and bear it, I think. 
and they look at the assessment and go, well, that's what the city has said. They're, they're the judge and the jury, and that's it. But you guys are open to that idea of talking it through and understanding each of the different situations. Absolutely, Joe. And that's why we like to take the opportunity to have these conversations with property owners. This is a it's not a, it's a complicated kind of world that we live in. We do want to do the best job that we possibly can. So, you know, we need to make sure that we understand your property. We need to understand that we got your characteristics correctly. And then even if we do, and, and you may disagree with, with uh, your value, we can walk you through some of the examples, some of the sales that we would have looked at to to, to support that value. Mm-hmm. If you've got some other sales that you think may be better support, talk to our assessors about that as well. 403-974-8255. If you want to get a question into Nelson, let's head back to the phone lines and I believe this is Sylvia. Sylvia, what's uh, what question do you have for Nelson? Hi there. We have purchased our current home on June the 29th for less than what our property tax assessment is. That, that does happen. So yeah. there, there's, um, I would kind of expect that we'd be roughly in, in, the, in the ballpark. Uh, it's within about 50 grand. Yeah, so generally in the appraisal world, there's a phrase that one sale is not a market make. So basically, okay. uh, I, talked to, I talked earlier about all those sales that we would use. So some people say, well, that, that's the best indicator of the sale of that particular property. Well, we need to look at a, a number of different indicators. So that would be part of the data set that we would be looking at, but certainly would not be just our only piece of information that we look at to value that subject property. Right. So it is what it is. Uh, I'd, I'd certainly suggest, again, 268-888. Um, okay. Come and talk to one of our evaluation, uh, one of our assessors. We can walk you through that process. But again, generally, I wouldn't expect to find a particular our assessment to be exactly the same number that you sold for. Sometimes it happens. Right. But again, we yeah. use a lot more than just that one particular piece of data. Perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for the call, there, Sylvia. Yeah, it's one of those things too, where fifty grand is it seems like a, it's not a small chunk of change, and so it's worth going to you guys and saying, "Hey, let's let's talk this one through and get all the facts out out there, so that the, the right assessment can be made." Again, it, it may be of a case. It may be that the data that we have on that property was inaccurate. Maybe mm-hmm. there was something done on the property that the, that we don't know about. Right. So again, if you have those questions, give us a call. I'll be more than happy to walk you through uh, what we know about your property and talk about the process. You can also call us here for. 3974-8255. We've got a few more calls we're going to get to. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. We are joined by Nelson Carpa, City Assessor at the City of Calgary, as we take your questions on property tax assessments, which have been mailed out over the last 10 days or so. Let's head back to the phone lines and go to Gordon. Gordon, what's your question for Nelson? Hey, do you um, get your sales stats from the realtor MLS site? Uh, no, we actually, uh, we legislatively, we get all of our sales directly through land titles. So we get actually more data than it's available through the MLS system. So we do get all MLS sales. We also get all first-time sales. We get all private sales. So our data set um, is, um, that's where we get it from. So so if you get it from land titles, but that's from MLS anyway, because land when a home is sold, it gets registered through land titles. So, and I understand you guys can't go out and absolutely look at every house, but um, like a, a realtor could put in comments that the basement's finished, but it's only maybe half finished or something like that. Or they say it's three bedrooms or five bedrooms. Do you go on the amount of bedrooms also? And, and what if two of them bedrooms are in the basement and three are upstairs? 
does that not make a difference on the value of the home? It, it absolutely does make a difference. So number of bedrooms, placement of bedrooms, you know, more bedrooms above grade are, are more valuable to any purchaser than bedrooms below grade. So while we get the sales prices through uh, land titles, we do when we do what we call sales investigations, we actually do look at listings. We do actually look at uh, that information. Uh, we do mail out on average about uh, 80,000 requests for information for residential property owners to make sure that we've got that accurate information. So we try as best as we can to reflect what's really out there. Uh, and we use a number of different um, sources to try and verify that data. So, so what if... Uh a home sold or was just listed for $385,000 at the time that uh, you're doing your evaluation and it doesn't sell for six, eight, ten months and it sells for three and a quarter. You're not going off of, are you going off the prior sale or the neighbor's comparisons or what? So, so we would uh, we do not take into consideration the listings because that's really not market evidence. I mean, that's a, that's a, a price that's out there. We rely on that uh, that transaction. So you have a willing buyer, willing seller, that kind of stuff. So we would rely on the sales. We do keep track of sort of the inventory and that kind of stuff. But to to form our values, to form our assessments, we require the uh, those bona fide sales transactions, and we also do verify those transactions to make sure they're they're third they're. Uh, they're not they're they're arms length. They're not you know related in any way, shape, or form. They're not some of a for foreclosure. So we do a lot of work in investigating those sales to make sure that's the best data that we have. Appreciated those questions, Gordon. Wanted to get one more caller in before the uh, the end of the segment here, and let's go to Ryan here. Ryan, uh, what question do you have for Nelson? I just wanted to relay my experience with the board. Okay. Um, I had a city assessor disagree with me. Uh, our value was off by 10% from we had bought it within two weeks of the assessment date. Uh, there was a reason, the reason the value was off is because the land, part of our land was unusable. The assessor said, that's fine. We're still not going to change it for you. And even if we did, we find we, we would take into account rentals in addition to change value back up if you did win somehow. Uh, the board agreed with me. They thought the assessor making a comment about rentals was totally out of line because it didn't make any sense. So I did win. Um, and the next year, the value was back up to where it was before. So they hadn't taken anything into account, so I had to fight it again. So that's hmm. my story for you. Appreciate that, Ryan. Is that once is that something that you see regularly, Nelson? Is is people having to come back over and over and over again, or it it, it does happen from time to time. The thing that I think it's important to remember is, um, though um, an adjustment to your value may be made through the uh, through the complaint process, each year is a new year, so right. you know you would have complained against your prior year's value. So. Actually, I wouldn't expect it necessarily to be exactly the same as last year because it is a different year. Your the valuation has changed, um, and so we'd kind of expect to see some change uh, throughout the year. But we do try to reflect information that we've gathered either through you uh, through ongoing discussions or through communications that were available uh, during the complaint process. Nelson Carpa, city uh, assessor here at the city of Calgary. Thanks so much for the time, and we'll probably have to have you on before too long to to dive more because our switchboard was certainly full. All right, uh, thanks very much uh, for having me. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. As the new year has come and we're now into the midst of it, a lot of people are going, I need that motivation. I need something to get me going. 
And the question has become is, do you need that slow and steady approach to change or do you need to have that moment of clarity, that moment of Zen, as some people call it? He's an author. He was on the program with Angela quite a few times over the course of her reign on this program. James Fell is the author of a new book coming out only in a few days now called The Holy Bleep Moment, How Lasting Change Can Happen in an Instant. James Fell joins us now on the program. James, thanks for the time today. Thank you for having me on the show, Joe. So you mean to tell me that it's better to jump in feet first rather than you know dip the toe in the pool and see whether it's too warm or not? It can be. <laughs> if you are in the right mental state where you go through a transformative experience and you feel like you're, it's this new quest that you absolutely must fulfill, then yeah, that's what you got to do. Conversely, sometimes you want to do that slow and steady tourist thing, uh, but you're, you're thinking like a hare and suddenly you can have a massive acceleration in your motivation to go in a new direction. I think that we have a problem where, where we just preach baby steps a little too much without considering alternatives where overwhelming motivation comes in a flash. Is there a worry at all? It's sort of the the quitting smoking thing is if you try to quit cold turkey right off the bat, then you're bound for failure. Is is there maybe too much of a worry there? And that's why we we urge the baby steps a little too much? Well, the interesting thing is, is that research has been done on thousands of smokers. That's a great example that you bring up that shows that those who had a triggering event that led to an immediate renunciation of cigarettes were more successful than those who did a planned quitting attempt. Not only that, but the ones that just said, that's it, I'm done, were less likely to have to use pharmacotherapy to quit. They didn't need a nicotine patch. They were just, they, they for some reason, something clicked in their mind that said, no more cigarettes ever again. Mm-hmm. It, I suppose it's one of those things where the longer that you let something linger is the longer you give yourself that opportunity to, to second guess yourself, maybe. Yeah, and but the thing is that, that these are things that can be prepared for. So, you know, we're talking about essentially a life change epiphany that can apply to anything, whether it's it's quitting an addiction or deciding to get in shape or even starting an entrepreneurial venture or, or you know, altering your mood state in some way. But they, they have a tendency to seemingly pop out of nowhere. But there are tactics that you can employ that um, prepare your mind for such a sudden insight. And a lot of it does involve this self-analysis where you're looking at your life and your situation and, you know, crystallizing little bits of discontent so that, you know, there may be a lot of little things wrong in your life that by themselves don't seem like such a big, a big deal. But if they, if you're able to, to examine all of them together, it's a situation where the whole becomes greater than the sum of the parts. And you're, you reach a bit of a breaking point where you're like, that's it. Enough of this. I need to make a change. And, and suddenly out of nowhere, seemingly out of nowhere, this transformative experience in your mind takes place where you're just determined to go in this new direction. Sounds to me like self-awareness is a real big factor in any change that you want to put into play. Absolutely, because we have a tendency to focus on behavior change. You know, we're, we're uh, 
a new year right now, and 80% of New Year's resolutions are going to have failed by the time this month is over. And that's because we focus strictly on the actions, the things that we need to do or the things that we need to stop doing. And what you really need to do instead is look much deeper inside yourself as to what your identity is and what your values are, because those are the things that overwhelmingly drive behavior. If you're focusing strictly on behavior change, yeah, slow and steady is the way to go because it's a painful process. If you're somehow, through a transformative experience, able to alter or release your your true self and your true deepest held values and let them reign supreme, all of a sudden behaviors just sync up and come in line with that in a relatively effortless fashion. For the book, I interviewed a man who had tried and failed to lose weight many times, and he weighed over 400 pounds, but he went through a transformative experience where he knew in a flash that this time he was gonna, it was going to work. And it was he described this to me as, I didn't have to struggle with my motivation. It came built in. He lost over 200 pounds, and he's kept it off more than a decade. How do you tell, especially in this day and age, people who are so used to making everything perfect, and I'll use Instagram as an example, you you take a million pictures to post the one, how do you tell people to be okay with that imperfection and that few stumbling blocks that you're bound to happen when you have that epiphany, when you have that moment of clarity? Well, self-compassion is always critical. That you know, One of the things that I talk about in the book is using the example of people that like to change our bodies. And that's, that's um, something that you need to be very careful with because society has conditioned us to feel bad about the way we look. Mm-hmm. And you have to treat yourself with analyzing what is, what is possible versus what is not possible and looking at improving your situation based on your capacities, your talents, your situation, and wanting to change because you know you you feel good about yourself and your capabilities and going after missions in life things that are important to you not necessarily what other people or society may may expect of you that you know we we have a tendency to to do things because we think others expect them of us but if you get a really you know overwhelming vision of i have to do this it's not because you think somebody else wants you to do it. It's because deep down, you know, this is your purpose. This is, this is why you were put here. Mm-hmm. It, one word of advice that you would have or a piece of advice that you would have for those who are really struggling to get to that point of actually doing that change. It's one thing to talk the talk, but when it comes to walking the walk, it's a, it's a different factor. Well, other than a piece of advice of buy my book, <laughs> I, would say, I would say believe that it can happen. So I interviewed um, one of the leading researchers in the field of the transformative experience, and he said approximately a third of people are having these experiences. And this is out of the blue without even trying to have it. So if you engage in mindful efforts to, um, to have some type of life-changing epiphany, the odds could be crazy quite a bit higher. So these experiences happen. It's undeniable and they change lives for the better. If you start to believe that this is something that could happen for you, you ought and open yourself up to having that experience, then you automatically dramatically increase the likelihood of it happening. The holy 
bleep moment. You can fill in the blank there. How lasting change can happen in an instant. James Fell, the author and a pretty regular contributor here to uh, Calgary today, but the first time he and I have been able to chat here. So, James, uh, great to have you on and hope to have you on soon. Thanks so much. I look forward to speaking to you again. In case you didn't notice, the New Year's upon us, number one. Number two, we are in the midst of a provincial election campaign. I know the writ hasn't dropped yet. I know that officially we can't say, hey, it's time to campaign and try to get yourself out there and get the vote out. And that. We can't say that yet, but it's happening. And so with that is going to come a need to scrutinize every single announcement made by every single party and especially the governing party. In the past, under a PC government, and especially the Jim Prentice uh, regime, as short as it was, what you saw were a lot of what we called reannouncements. Hey, we saw that before. Hey, that was in the budget before. And it was all leading up to the election because the whole point was to get people to pay attention to the good things, right? And the hope is they can push forward that positive agenda. And so I looked and saw that, hey, there's a big announcement happening at the Calgary Can- or the being built Calgary Cancer Center today. The lead on it so far, enough concrete to fill 15 Olympic-sized swimming pools has been poured for the radiation therapy department at the new Calgary Cancer Center. Premier Rachel Notley will be there. So the question, the very first question that was asked to the Premier, what's new? It's twofold. First of all, I, or maybe threefold. First of all, uh, what we have here is a project, the, the single biggest infrastructure project currently underway in Alberta. And it is on time and on budget. And so I think that people need to hear that repeatedly because, of course, it's a multi-year project. Secondly, uh, we've made great progress in terms of the amount of concrete that's been poured uh, with respect to the, the outside walls, with respect to the radiation. That's sort of a core part of the construction and of the work of this, of this, uh, um, of this facility. So I think it's important to be able to say that that work is essentially completed. Uh, not the, the concrete around the actual vaults, but around the rooms within the vault, within which the vaults are placed. And uh, that's a big thing, six feet of concrete. Um, and the third thing, quite frankly, is that this is, uh, this is a project that uh, had been promised for years, uh, in fact, decades. And it's a project that is now getting done. And it is a project that reflects our government's commitment to providing people with the health care that they need when they need it and to ensure that that access is, made, is given to all Albertans, regardless of how much they earn or where they live. Because that's what happens when you have a strong, vibrant public health system. May I add a fourth? Because she said that was threefold. There's a fourth fold. And everybody, I hope, can see through it, which is we can now throw shade on the UCP and force the question, what will happen if you cut certain things, a.k.a. like the, the buildings can get built. But the argument is going to be if you're going to cut, say, the amount of money being spent towards healthcare, how many people are actually going to be able to use uh, to work in that facility? I mean, we still hear stories about how wings of the South Health campus remained vacant for however long because they didn't have enough workers. 
This was a political ploy, and sure enough, the NDP caucus sent out an email right after that avail saying, hey, this is what you get if you get an NDP government, but if you get a UCP government, you might not get it. So again, with all of these announcements, you're going to want to look at them through a fine-tooth comb. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Let's turn the tables because last half hour I decided to rail a little on the NDP and how it's pre-election announcement time. But the UCP getting themselves into a little bit of uh, trouble over the weekend and it all had to do with a gent by the name of Ian Donovan, former Wild Rose slash PC MLA for the little bow riding. And he stepped out and said, I've had enough, can't do this anymore. And he spoke with our own Danielle Smith earlier today where she asked, why now? As he's raised some ish, uh, some concerns before. Well, there, I mean, everything adds up. They always say it's what that final straw is, it breaks your back. I mean, between nomination processes, um, you know, again, hearing uh, audio tape saying and, you know, allegedly that he was involved with uh, Mr. Calloway to, you know, take out Brian Jean on a kamikaze mission or whatever. So, I mean, all those things... You kind of worry about if that's the if that's the if that's the line you see him going on, and after talking to him, I mean, I had one of the members from the UCP board from the provincial board. Um, you know, when I sent in my resignation, I just said, you know, I, and some people got it forwarded to them or whatever. It wasn't my gig. I sent it to three MLAs that I knew that I used to sit with, and our board. Um, but you know, at the end of the day. You know, it was, I got a call from one of the people from the UCP board itself provincially, and they just said, you know, hey, you're causing quite a stir. I shouldn't say call a text. And I said, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, we've had up to <laughs> You should have just said, I'm Ian Donovan. That's what I do. <laughs> That's a, anybody that knows me, I stir the pot for fun. But, uh, you know, there's, it's a sign that it's become, you know, you know, he's become a political operative rather than a leader. And, you know, I, I had nine people from our board after I sent that email out that contacted me and said, hey, we're kind of lost too right now. This isn't exactly what we thought we were signing up for. And, um, you know, and the person from the UCP board texted back said, hey, I hear you. The board can't get a hold of the office or the leader either. So this goes back to a little bit of a, a Twitter rant that I went on, and I realize that a lot of you may not be on Twitter, so I want to reiterate it on air now. This is what I said. Something's been bothering me of late as I watch the reactions to what's happening within the United Conservative Party. You can take each of the defections on its own merit, but when you look at them as a whole, something wasn't sitting well with me. Then I figured it out. It's not about how or why or who left. It's about the reaction from within the party's walls. This was supposed to be a grassroots party. So I would have thought the reaction would be, we're sad to see them go as they've been strong for us from the onset or that kind of thing. But instead, we're getting the official lines trying to belittle the defectors. You get the good riddance and they weren't in team players and worse. It's one thing to have a couple of instances, but we're getting new issues every week with the same response. There's a weird sense of entitlement that is coming coming along with this. It's as if they are saying, you're either with us or against us, and if you're against us, you're going to lose. There's no high road. And these are people supposedly in the big tent of the party. What does this say for what they think of those who actually oppose them? I'll let you be the judge. I've been at this game long enough to know that I need to judge situations like this by the sum of their parts, 
And right now, something doesn't smell right. I'm not saying, and again, it's it's less about each individual situation and more about what the reaction has been. It's been a vilifying those who were supposedly part of the inner circle. And one of the conclusions that I keep coming back to, and and if you sign up for our newsletter at 770CHQR.ca, I'll be sending one of these out, uh, I think tomorrow is when the plan is. But all I'm asking is this. By, it, it, by railing on the NDP and the UCP, it's not a trying to be even on either side. I'm not trying to play the middle. It's just that if both of these are the, the main players in this election, let's be real about it, is right now the way that they're trending, That's those are the two main players. So I would like to see them act like they are the government in waiting. Yet both of them have done nothing to appeal to the moderates in this province, which I do believe the vast majority of Albertans are pretty moderate at the end of the day. So both parties, and I said this last week about the NDP, they've done nothing to appease to appeal to uh, rural Albertans. And I would say that the UCP are starting to really grate on a lot of people, especially the people that I've been talking to lately. I just expect better, and I'm hoping for better over the next few weeks and months. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Turning the page now, and Contemporary Calgary has taken a step in uh, transforming the Centennial Planetarium, a.k.a. the former Science Centre. And joining us now from uh, Contemporary Calgary is CEO David Leinster. David, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Thanks so much for having us, Joe. Give us the latest on the redevelopment of what a lot of people still call the old Science Centre. Well, the City of Calgary has really been hard at work, and I think we should start by thanking them. Uh, They've been doing a base building upgrade project at the Planetarium, invested $24.5 million to breathe new life into the building. So I think that's an important first uh, place to start. If you've driven by recently, there's lots of activity going on there. Mm -hmm. Um, Contemporary Calgary uh, has a couple of phases, I think, to our project. Uh, The first is really transforming this base building into a world-class experience for modern and contemporary art. And then a second phase of this building, uh, planned for a later time, is an an addition onto the building to house a Class A gallery experience, which is really a gallery that can uh, have strict environmental uh, control. And so a couple of phases. We're certainly designing against both phases now, but really focused on that first phase. Talk about what the visitor experience is going to be like once both phases are actually complete. Yeah, I think uh, really Calgary deserves this type of major uh, gallery experience in the city. You know, at least when I travel around uh, to other cities in the world, you know, visiting art galleries is some of the first things that I do. Um, I think Calgarians have had a long history of being inspired in the planetarium, whether that was when it was the planetarium or as the the Calgary Science Centre and TELUS World of Science. And I think that's what's most exciting about this is just getting this building uh, back to life and uh, inspiring new generations of people in in an exciting new venue. What does today's announcement in particular mean? Today, I think it's important and an exciting day because we've really attracted an amazing team of Gibbs Gage Architecture and KPMB uh, architects 
who uh, who are really the design leaders on the project, and they've designed some of the greatest uh, galleries and museum in the country. The most recent success of the Remi Modern in Saskatoon, which last year was the only Canadian city listed on the New York Times, a list of places to visit, just a tremendous facility. And other museums like the Ottawa Art Gallery, the, the Canadian Museum of Nature, and the Bell Tiff Light Box, which is, of course, a major uh, tourist attraction in Toronto. So it's really exciting for Calgary that we've drawn this great talent, and we're really excited to kick things off this week with them. What was sort of the mindset about keeping the building as is instead of moving to another location? I mean, there, there's been a lot of talk, obviously, about East Village, and there's been a lot of talk about different facets of the city, but you guys decided to stay in West Village. I'm curious what led to that decision? I think, uh, you know, adaptive reuse projects are really important and they're great projects of architecture of this time. And when we saw the planetarium, of course, it wasn't designed as a, a building for modern contemporary art. But, you know, when I take people through the building now, uh, it's hard to see it as anything other than that. I mean, it's such an important piece of architecture in our city. It's a brutalist piece of architecture designed in 67 by Jack Long. It has a huge uh, support base in this city, and it's really this wonderful building that uh, has all sorts of nooks and crannies and an interesting and interesting uh, piece of its architecture. So I think that's what's most exciting is, is is leveraging this historic piece of property in the city of Calgary and giving it another life. You know, bringing in new experience and really leveraging this great asset that the city of Calgary has. So now that you've taken the step that was announced today, what's next in the process, and when can Calgarians maybe get a chance to actually? Uh, when, did, will, when will they expect to maybe see the doors open, or do we have a date for that yet? Sure. So uh, we kick things off this week. The, the the team is going to be in town. We're going to be doing a significant tour of the planetarium, really a kickoff to our pre-design meeting. I think uh, really important is going to be how we engage with the community, Joe. Um, this is a building that is really loved by so many people, and so it would be very important for us to speak with a local artist, to speak with the local downtown West Community Association and other, and other members. So that's the, that's the really the first bit of this work. Um, we will be programming uh, the, the planetarium while we're designing and as we lead up to construction this year. Um, so Calgarians can expect us to open the doors and, and have them come in and see this, uh, see this building once again. In terms of when we expect the, the doors to open post this, uh, this construction uh, with the architectural team, we see that as being late uh, 2020. Perfect. And as the, the history buff that I happen to be, I always love going through old buildings and realizing what they were in, in yesteryear. I'm curious, will there be much for an homage to, uh, you know, whether it be the Science Center or the old planetarium, will be, there be uh, space set aside, I guess, for uh, to show off that side of, of what the building once was? Yeah, I think the city of Calgary deserves an enormous amount of credit. They've really peeled away uh, some of the, the 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 building from its past, and and I think our approach, Joe, is to really take as restorative approach as we can to think about its original architecture and bones. Uh, the city's gone to great great lengths to sort of restore and repair the ceilings by taking a, a 3D image of them and then pulling them down and doing the restorative work and repairs and then putting them back up uh, as an exact replica of their original self. So I think uh, Calgarians are going to see this building as they haven't seen it in maybe 20 or 30 years, not just when it was the Science Centre. And then when we get in there to do our work, we're excited to transform it again and bring just an amazing experience to this great city. Looking forward to seeing what you guys have up your sleeve on that front. Uh, I appreciate the time today. Well, thanks so much for having us. 
Thank you so much for downloading today's podcast. Do me a huge favor and leave a rating and a comment. And you can always hit me up on Twitter as well. Just follow me at Calgary today.